And so we're all under 30. Uh, they talked me into moving out to Boston in August of 1986. And I came out with a suitcase and, you know, some pennies in my pocket and slept on people's couches while we found a brewery at 306 Northern Ave. And we started building the brewery in January. Um, we had our first draft beer in the market by June. It was June 3rd or thereabouts. And um, it was the Seven's Ale House was our first account. Okay. Yep, running Beacon Hill. And uh, we took off almost immediately. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Towns of related is your currency. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. If it is your first time here, thank you for being here. This is Pat McCauley, as always. This week's guest is Russ Heishner, who is a true craft beer pioneer. Uh, he is currently the founder and brewer of Barrel House Z um, in uh, Weymouth, Mass., which is a small craft brewery. Um, just south of Boston, about a 20 minutes drive uh, south of Boston for those that aren't uh, from around here. And I personally have known Russ my entire life. Um, him and his family uh, literally grew up next door to uh, my family and he still lives next door to my parents. So I see him often when I visit home and our driveway is literally abutted. So it was like, you know, his kids playing in the driveway and then you know, myself and my seven siblings running around and, you know, running around each other's yards. And um, so we go way back. Um, and Russ's story to me, as I've gotten to know him as an adult, um, has been super interesting to me. And, and I think it's just uh, an amazing story. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be a part of uh, Barrel House Z um, in the early days. And I really learned craft beer from a true master and artist. Um, so we talk all about why Russ decided as a young man to attend UC Davis and get a fermentation science degree, which at the time, um, certainly not many people were doing, um, you know, craft beer wasn't really a thing. Um, how he was then hired by Harpoon Brewery, and for those in the Boston area, everybody knows Harpoon, Russ literally brewed the first ever Harpoon beer in his apartment in Brighton here in the Boston area um, in 1989, I believe, or 86, maybe I could have that wrong, but in the late 80s, um, how he then, after Harpoon, went on to build 50-plus uh, breweries across the country, um, how he then ended up at BP creating biofuels. So we talk about kind of how, um, how he sort of, his career has kind of towed the line of craft beer and alternative fuels. Um, and it's confusing to me how fermentation kind of overlaps those two and his specialty uh, overlaps those two. But he explains in detail in this um, what led him back to the craft uh, beer world after his days at BP. Um, starting Barrel House Z um, and how it's evolved over the past five years. Um, what he recommends to entrepreneurs starting a business um, and raising capital, um, and how he's trying to make uh, craft beer more sustainable and what they're doing at Barrel House Z, etc. Um, again, 
Um, Russ is truly a rare talent um, and, and truly an artist and, and a pioneer in the space. And um, for those that don't know and aren't from kind of the Northeast, Harpoon is one of the top 20 largest breweries um, in the country now. And to think that he, you know, it started with him, you know, finagling, you know, God knows what equipment in a bathtub in a tiny Boston apartment when he was, you know, 20 years old is, is kind of crazy. Um, so anyway, this is a fun one. Um, uh, I, I will say before, um, before we start here, um, you know, I don't advise drinking beer as a um, health tool. Um, you know, I view it as a treat, um, and, and as something like a beyond burger, it's not, you know, going to lead to health, you know, alcohol is on the same list that I always quote, um, that red meats and processed meats are on, um, that the world health organization calls carcinogens. So bear in mind, I'm not promoting drinking, um, you know, but I love a good craft beer. Um, and I pick my spots and, um, that's kind of my stance on it. So anyway, uh, follow Russ. I'll leave links to all that. Uh, a very interesting career story, uh, from a, a very interesting guy. So without further ado, the one and only Russ Heishner. Times related is your currency. Right, I got Russ Heisner on the horn. We are in, literally in the brewery at Barrel House C in, in Weymouth, south of Boston, for those that aren't local. Um, and we're drinking, you got a Oktoberfest? Oktoberfest, yep. And then I'm drinking Friends and Neighbors, which is a nice West Coast IPA collaboration with, with uh, Vitamin C Next Door. That's right. Um, which you brewed. I did. Personally. I did. And it's legendary. Your... your <laughs> You're definitely more of a West Coast IPA guy. I'm definitely a West Coast guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. so, yeah, we, um, yeah, so to give people some context, so I've known you my whole life. Yes. We grew up next to each other. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I didn't really know until, you know, Barrel House Z, I didn't, I don't, I didn't really get to know you well. Right. You know? Right. Um, but I obviously know the majority of your story now and have, enjoy, have enjoyed getting to know you and your story over the past five, six years or ho- however long it's been now. Um, but for those listening that don't know the Russ Eichner story, uh, I want to maybe take it back, give a little background where you're from and kind of kind of your path. So maybe. even though, okay, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. So even, uh, even though I've lived here in the Boston area most of my life now. <clears throat> I grew up in San Jose, California, and um, went to the University of California at Davis, and um, it's probably more better known on the West Coast uh, that Davis is actually one of the premier schools uh, to go to in the world to learn to make wine and beer and actually industrial biotechnology and environmental sciences, et cetera, et cetera. And I got a degree in something called fermentation sciences um 1986 is when i graduated so i gotta i gotta stop you what was like the thinking there were you like 18 had no idea what you wanted to do and it just sounded interesting or like how does one like 
want to go major in that? Like what, what had happened up to that point? Or did you just kind of point and shoot? So a little bit like you, <laughs> I thought I was going to be playing football for my oh, career. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I took a year off, but I ended up playing ball at Davis. Um, I was actually a uh, biosciences major thinking I was going to go to med school because I figured my chances of making the pros was pretty nil, but I did want to be an orthopedic surgeon because I had broken almost every bone in my body and thought I knew a little bit about it. Um, But I, after two years and after, um, after I stopped playing ball, um, I started looking around for majors that I thought might be interesting. And I had a buddy of mine who was a year ahead of me who was and this, had this degree program called Fermentation Sciences, and he was doing all kinds of cool stuff. His name was Brian Larkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, um, he was w- working at wineries in the summers, and uh, he's just a real character. And so I went to talk to the head of the department my junior year, and I uh, took uh, the intro class, and I thought, this is really a really interesting career path. Um, little did I know that my senior year I'd end up taking a, a brewing sciences class as well and um, 100 people in the class um, I ended up doing really well in the class the professor asked me to spend the next quarter in his lab and it was in so seven of us out of the hundred uh, got invited to the lab and um, he always did a great job. His name was Mike Lewis. He started the brewing sciences department at Davis in 1962. Um, so he was uh, a little bit on uh, in his career at that point, but he was very well known for his connections within the beer industry and was pretty much guaranteed, you know, job, uh, you know, work after he graduated out of his lab. Yeah, and that was at the time one of the only of its kind, right? Yeah, it was maybe like three in the world. Yeah. Wow. And Only one in the U.S.? Or there is no, no, another program called the Siebel Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bachelor, it's not a university curriculum, but it's, yeah. it's a fantastic program. A lot of uh, professional brewers have come out of the Siebel School, and the Siebel, Siebel Institute's in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. And um, they've been around for a while, too. But, I, you know, I, I got through my winter quarter and um, ended up, we doing a field trip um, in 19, this is the winter of 1985. We went up to Chico, California to the then three-year-old Sierra Nevada mm-hmm. Brewing Company. <laughs> I, did I tell you this story? I think you did. This is when they're, when they're hand-bottling. They're hand-bottling, like, yeah. Sierra yeah, Nevada. and Sierra Nevada was in a, a Quonset hut next to the Chico airstrip. We got the personal tour. Um, and uh, ended up on the loading dock with a kegerator and a few beers. I got introduced to uh, Bigfoot Barley Wine, which just turned my head around on everything crafty because it was amazing beer. And when my resume was passed on to Anheuser-Busch and I had my interviews lined up, uh, the guys who started Harpoon uh, came out to Davis and were looking for a brewer because they had heard that Davis was one of the places right. you go to you know find people who know how to make beer and the guys who started harpoon were brilliant people but they didn't know how to make beer <laughs> <laughs> and they just wanted to make a beer brand that was kind of they wanted to get into beer business and yeah. they're and as the the funniest line i've ever heard him say it's like um 
they were uh, fantastic consumers of beer. <laughs> 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 but not necessarily people who got and into it. And they were younger guys around your age at the time, right? They were a uh, couple years older than me. Yeah. Um, one of them was uh, four years older, and the other two were two years older. So yeah. we were all, I was 23. Yeah. They were 24, 25, and 28. Mm-hmm. And so we're all under 30. Um, they talked me into moving out to Boston in August of 1986. And I came out with a suitcase and, you know, some pennies in my pocket and slept on people's couches while we found the brewery at 306 Northern Ave. And we started building the brewery in January. Um, we had our first draft beer in the market by June. It was June 3rd. Mm-hmm. or thereabouts and um it was the sevens ale house was our first account okay yep right at beacon hill and uh we took off almost immediately i mean it was it was crazy and it was at the time it was you were just brewing something you know that was a little bit different tastier yeah. different yeah you know uh a higher, higher ABV, I would assume. You got to imagine a, a world where only Miller, Bud, right. and Coors exist. Yep. And that really was what the U.S. beer market was in the 80s. And there were a lot of folks who would go to Europe and they'd get a chance to taste what, you know, what beer was like in Europe. And then they came back here. And when um, some of the laws changed to allow uh, smaller breweries really to get going um, a lot of folks started brewing very different beers mm-hmm. most of those folks were home brewers home brewer enthusiasts they were making it at home and they just and that's the way the Sierra Nevada guys got started yep. um, they you know they were just trying to make stuff that they really enjoyed and so um, <clears throat> Harpoon Ale was the original uh, brand and it originally was supposed to be a eight plus percent ABV big big red Scottish ale type, you know, just a big malt bomb. Yep. Um, and we made it, and I was making beer literally in my apartment uh, on a little homebrew kit in Brighton, and we were doing all kinds of test stuff. And I backed off on the. I took the same recipe. I just backed off on the ABV, and it was about a just about a 6% ABV beer. And everybody liked that much better because they could drink more than one, basically. Right. Yeah. It was more drinkable. Yeah. Much more approachable. And so that's what we launched with. And that was the original Harpoon Ale. Yeah. Yeah, so to Bostonians listening, I just have to paint this picture. You brewed Harpoon's first beer, essentially in an apartment in Brighton. Washington Terrace, yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> near, near Boston College. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. And now Harpoon is what? I mean, they're they're like, I don't know, top twenty. There's certain, country, yeah, something like that. Yeah, something yeah, like that. They're big. We were when we got started. We were there were only like we were like number six. Yeah. yeah. But and there was, you know, between all six of us, we probably pr- produce less than what they spilled at. Anheuser Busch in one yeah. in one single facility. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So Harpoon, you're there from what for eight years or so? Eight to ten six. years. I was, six years. So counting, say 1986 when I first moved out, we didn't get in, really into production until 87, 
but from 1986 to 1992 is when I was there. Yep. Um, last two years there, I ended up going to business school at Boston University at, at night, part-time. Um, Mary and I had gotten married in 1989. Mm. Um, true story, Mary and I met at the first year anniversary of Harpoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you, if you know that. Um, and in 1992, Molly was born right, literally two days before I graduated from BU. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a recession, pretty serious recession in New England at the time. And I was looking for a job. I could have gone back to Harpoon, um, it, probably in a different role, but um, decided that it was time to move on. And so um, had a family and tuition payments to repay and yep. all kinds of stuff. So ended up working. Uh, I found a, a job for um, an industrial biotech company um, called OptiFood Ingredients. Uh, I was there, for, I was only with them for less than a year, but while I was there, the original company from uh, that built our brewery um, mm-hmm. contacted me and they were looking for an Eastern U.S. sales manager. And it turned out to be one of the best jobs I've ever had. I ended up <coughs> And that's JV Northwest. Right? JV Northwest, yeah. 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 We got to, I got to work with a lot of folks who were just getting into the, call it the first wave of craft brewing, and every, everything east of the, everything east of the Mississippi, north to Canada, into the Caribbean and in Mexico, and occasionally they call me in for some special projects, but um, that were outside the territory. But um, I ended up, I can't even remember, Pat. It was probably more than more than 80 breweries that I was got involved with getting yeah. started and built over another, about a seven year period yep. in the nineties. Many that are still around. Um, uh, they're still around, but they're probably under different ownership. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. flying dog and, um, yep. down in, um, down in Maryland is probably the one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that started off as, uh, gosh, I can't even remember the name of it. Yeah. But um, a lot of them is still around, but under yeah. different different ownership, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. did you, because Harpoon is like, like, it wasn't really set up for growth. Like, when you walk in there, no. like, it's, everything's like, doesn't really, it doesn't like make sense. They were packing like stuff a, in. A, yeah. yeah, they were really packing stuff in. So, like, you were obvious, you were probably building ones in much spaces that made more sense. No, I was building them in a lot of places <laughs> that were very were, similar. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I, it was, so when I would start to work with folks, you know, it always started with, I've got this space, can you look at it? And we'd look at it, and i do a lot of space planning, and then we'd spec the equipment out, and if they went forward, they went forward, but a lot of them got jammed into mm-hmm. very small spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there into, was that straight to BP or was there some more? No. So in the late 90s, there was a contraction in the craft beer market. So the first generation breweries, first generation craft beer got a little saturated. So there's a bit of a correction. I was making my living primarily off commission of selling the brewery equipment and the systems. And so once people stopped doing that, you know, had a growing family, mm-hmm. um, needed to, uh, <clears throat> it's when we were already in, you know, next door to you. Yep. And, uh, so I needed to find something similar. So I ended up, uh, 
finding a job with a company that was doing some very similar stuff but with a different industry and it was in biotech and um, it was a great it was a fantastic job I was with them for about five years we built uh, also got involved with semiconductor plants because of their similar process mm-hmm. I won't bore you with the details because mm-hmm. it was you know it was a job wasn't yep. a passion yeah. um, but during that time period I came across a company that was developing a um, biofuels technology and specifically they were making ethanol the same molecule that's in our favorite beer and they were using it uh, for fuel purposes, fuel blending purposes. So whenever you pull up to a pump and you look at it, it says 10% ethanol yep. added, it typically comes from corn ethanol. Mm-hmm. And so from corn, corn distillation process. What this company was trying to do was to take uh, switchgrass and trees and grasses and other cellulosic paper-like materials and, and structural wood materials, which is sugar just in a different form. Mm-hmm and make ethanol out of it. Um, it caught my attention because the same year, flashback to 1985-86 when I was at Davis, I had one more, I had a, an additional quarter of uh, time. I had three units I had to complete. And I got very interested um, when I was working at a winery of taking the residues or pumice that comes off the wine process, which are seed stems and skins, Mm-hmm. And I was, we were just dumping them in the fields during the harvest. And uh, I went back to the department and I said, you know, I think I've done a little research. That stuff's just all sugar. I'd like to figure out how we could turn that into ethanol, you know, and we could figure out what the use is. But I think fuel is probably the best thing for it. Yeah. And so I did a one quarter, I did a, a research project on it. It didn't do anything. You know, it was yeah, just yeah. a small small thing but it stuck in my head and when I came across this company um, and started working with them uh, they offered me a job in 2005 we eventually developed a technology uh, to take sugarcane residues it's called bagasse b-a-g-a-s-s-e after they've made sugar and molasses that's the fiber that comes out of those things and um, we uh, had developed this technology we were building a demonstration a pilot facility down in uh, Louisiana and um, I had I got the pilot plant built Um, I got staff and operations people all all set up Um, we got we started we got the attention of BP in 2007 and 2008 we started doing a joint venture with them and um, they acquired us in 2010 mm-hmm. and so um, I ended up in 2010 mm-hmm. fermentation sciences guy from UC Davis who spent all this time most of his time in you know making beer and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that uh, I found myself working for one of the you know top four global energy giants yeah and how it is like it was kind of weird yeah but to to somebody <laughs> myself included that like knows nothing about it how like in layman's terms how does like fermentation of 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 making beer and of biofuels how are they related so 
fermentation is in, in in when you're making alcohol, you have to start it out start off with the sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sources sources of sugar in nature are juices, berries, you right. know, um, um, starch, so cereal grains, mm-hmm. etc. So when you're making wine, it comes from the berries of mm-hmm. the grapes. When you're making um, when you're making uh, beer, it comes from cereal, cereal grains. Yep. And so um, starch is a polymer. It's a chain. It's a long chain of, of sugar. And so when you're making beer, you have to start off by chopping that chain down so you can make it into short molecule, short sugar molecules. Um, so that yeast, which takes it, feeds on it, makes alcohol and makes carbon dioxide um, in fact you know makes beer mm. so if you have sugar and you feed it to yeast you're going to make alcohol and carbon dioxide mm-hmm. right so that's all context for the next part of it which is when a plant photosynthesizes co2 and makes sugar it's not just making sugar it's also making structural sugar and structural sugar is wood the woody parts of the plant Mm -hmm. okay and when you break that polymer that structural sugar down it's called cellulose okay Mm -hmm. when you break that cellulose down on a component basis on a molecule basis it's still glucose it's fermentable sugar Mm -hmm. okay it has some a little bit of different chemical structure so there's yeast don't naturally metabolize it but if you could break down that wood into its component sugars and feed it to a yeast conceptually, you could make alcohol and carbon dioxide. Right. Right. So the technology that we were challenged with was, you know, wood doesn't like to break down easily. Right. So in nature, you know, free sugars are easy. Uh, starch is a little harder to break down and structural the woody components are really hard to break down, and that's done on purpose. That's why our houses last as long as they are, et cetera, et cetera, right? right? So when you break it down, you have to expose it to some pretty harsh conditions, and it makes a lot of other stuff that yeast don't like. And so most of the technology we developed was around how do you maximize um, the utilization of the sugars into ethanol and how do you minimize the toxins that would be created from getting cellulose into its component sugar form was that too technical sorry probably (laughs) (laughs) sorry i saw your eyes glaze over i did that happens to me a lot (laughs) so you're so bp for for 10 years ish uh and that was so it was from 2005 when we started when i joined the company that got acquired to 2015 yep in 2015 do you remember what happened in 2015 with energy by any chance? I don't. Probably not. So nope. you, you know what fracking is? Yep. Okay. Fracking became more widespread. Um, energy prices, natural gas became more plentiful. Mm-hmm. Energy prices started to collapse. Right. Um, at the same time, um, the oil industry is traded in U.S. dollars, and the U.S. dollar became very weak. So, um, energy expensive biofuels w- weren't feasible anymore. Correct. Essentially, you got it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yep. Uh, so BP decided took decided to shut down our entire business unit, mm-hmm. and um, it was time to find uh, a new career. Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, I probably could have stayed at BP, but uh, just you know how I got there was unusual, and yeah, I just never really it just. It was. It would be hard for me to get out of bed in the morning thinking I was going to work for a big energy giant like BP. Yeah. And when did the inkling to get back into beer start? So in 2008, while I was doing the biofuels thing, Harpoon asked me to come back to do a 100-barrel um, series collaboration beer. Okay. And uh, I went back and I did it. I had spent the day at the brewery and it had been literally like 12 years since I had spent any time at the brewery. I had completely checked out. I was gone from the industry forever. And um, it just reminded me of how much I enjoyed it. Mm. And so when the time came to start Barrel Has Z, some of the things that happened in 08, like small batch, um, collaborative uh doing things that are fun and that there's a story behind because the 100 barrel program at harpoon it always it's basically the brewer gets to pick whatever they want there's always a story behind how the recipe got developed etc all that kind of stuck and, right. and for those that don't know that's basically like 100 barrel is a small run it's like a it's, what do they do that's once the, a year that's the smallest the 100 barrels is about the, s- the smallest size that Right, so Harpoon so, does in a single batch. Right, so they do. It's like a specialty a, one-off, that's like right. once a year type deal, or however often they do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And we were. Um, it's funny. I was the first employee at Harpoon, but I was number twenty-three on the hundred barrel list. <laughs> um, so, but all that just kind of stuck in my head, and then, you know, you you don't know this yet, because Pat, because you're young in your career but you know you, you get a little further on in your career and um you could continue on you know a certain path where you could you know define yourself you know at some point and I found myself in my mid-50s thinking about uh, you know do I still want to work for a big global company or do I want to take a shot at, at actually start my own thing instead of I can't even tell you how many times I've helped other entrepreneurs start their own ventures, right? Mm. Including Harpoon. Mm-hmm. And so I figured it was my time. And um, Mary and I talked. Um, unbelievably, she got on board with it. <laughs> with kids, two kids in college. And um, I mean, I'd had a reasonable retirement package, uh, you know, that from, from BP. Um, but we uh, decided it was now or never. And so in 2015, we formed the company. That's when we started to get to know you pretty well. Yep. We, uh, you were around for the, the kickoff uh, experiment. We went back to the Harpoon Brewery, and uh, we had some barrel-aged beers. that We took the same beer, and we aged it in rum barrels and whiskey barrels. And the place was, was packed with 400-plus people, as, yeah, as I recall. Yeah, it was packed that night. It was crazy. And what yeah. was the, why, why the barrel-aged? Why was that something you wanted to do? Because it was different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want to be like everybody else. I didn't want to be the, like, everybody was 
doing a different flavor of an IPA at the time. And IPAs and sours. Sours were coming out of the scene. Yeah, they were starting to do that too. And I just thought barrel-aged beers are really interesting. It also was a combination of uh, there's a lot of winemaking techniques in, in barrel-aged beers. And although I had never done it professionally, it certainly had the background. Yeah. And um, it's I more thought, of an art to make a good. It's more. It's beer. much more of an art. Yeah. Yeah. And so we tried it, and as you know, um, almost as soon as we sold our first beer, people were asking for IPAs. Yeah. And sours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though, like what you made initially. First of all, the one of my best experiences from Barrel Hussey was when you and one of the guys from Harpoon came down. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And you were sitting there with the table of, I didn't even know what it was, but it was like juniper and. Oh all yeah, kinds yeah, of yeah, yeah. Remember that? You yeah. had all the he brought all the cups down yeah. with different. Uh, we were we were developing Sunny in '79. And you sat there. <laughs> it must have been an hour or so, and I was just like. We were dissecting it all in. We were dissecting the hell out of it. And you kind of knew you wanted some sort of like beer that sort of mimicked a, a gin and tonic to some extent. But just the process of watching you do that, I found like absolutely that was fun. fascinating. So but I don't know, like, like that like, was fun. But that to me, like, demonstrated like like your incredible skill around beer and just like. It just blew me away how you could take just a bunch of spices and stuff on the table and you guys were sampling different beers and whatever. And then you come to a recipe that was the first, you know, our first beer here, Sunny in 79. That was, to this day, the original batches are one of the best beers, you know, summer, summer beers I've ever had. Sunny in 79 is still my favorite beer that we make. Unbelievable. Yeah. There was more science going on than beer drinking that by by the way that day. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I think that day, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we were, I mean, so he had we were doing something there that you probably didn't realize which was um, there was threshold testing going on, so we had different yeah. concentrations of the different flavors, juniper berry and cardamom and coriander and lemon peel, right? Which in a in like a water like what did you have in it we were doing it in a pilsner base that that's right it went, that's and right. it was yeah, yeah. and it was bitburger pills because it's one of my favorites yep and what we were trying to do is come up with the right combination of those flavors that would complement a pilsner style and i'm i've always maintained a pilsner is sort of the best palette to do something like um something that has uh, a gin and tonic kind of flavor profile to it, aroma profile to it, because it's, uh, um, especially the juniper berry and the cardamom Mm -hmm. are almost naturally complement hops in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was, um, I mean, what resulted in, and I think it was, did you have a throwaway batch at all? Or was it first take on Sunny and Seventy? First take. I remember you. I remember um, we were probably not too far from where we are now. Yep. You were filtering it. Yep. And we took it off the filter. Yep. We placed it on top of the filter. Yep. And we both drank it. 
and we both looked at each other and went, "Holy cow, this is really good." <laughs> yes. Remember, I think I have a picture of. I still that have day it. I have a picture with pic- the beer on the filter. I have yeah. a picture of that too. Yep, yeah, same. it's probably the same picture. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was unbelievable. And then, eventually, you kind of toned it down um, because just. It was of too most drink- people's palates. It was too drinkable. Yeah, it was too drinkable for uh, close to 8%, I think. It was, was a 7.5%. Seven, seven yeah. 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 It was way too drinkable. Yeah. So we toned it down. and stuff. It's We still make it, but we make it seasonally, and it is about a 6.5% six, uh, beer at this you yeah. know, now. If you had to pick the favorite Barrel House Sea beer, is that it? It's like asking me what my who my favorite kid is. <laughs> right. But it's you know, but you know, it's always you know the the, the your the first beer always kind of gets special preference. Yeah, but, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but but even the I mean, some of that early stuff was even the. You're number three in the household, right? That, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but even even the early like the RR twenty three uh, that we made here was awesome. Was unbelievable. Like yeah. some of those first the wrath, few beers. You remember just, the wrath? I remember the wrath. Yep. Rage, rage against the hop. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Just incredible. So, yeah, for me, like, it was just, like, really cool to watch, like, you it's, make that stuff. Because to me, it was fine. so foreign how you, how it all works. And to see, like, you come out with this, like, really piece of art, you know, was, was just really cool. <laughs> yeah. It was, we, we were doing a lot of fun stuff, but, you know, there's a reason there's a term called starving artist. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Um, and so pretty early on, you know, we started getting a lot of folks coming in and were appreciative, appreciative and, you know, raving about the stuff we were producing, but um, they still wanted an IPA. Yeah. And so the first IPA... Which was BAM? It was BAM. Yeah, Bamboozled by Hops. Which was like the first one that everybody came in for and sold out. And yeah, Bamboozled by Hops went, went great. And then we we decided to do a double, um, and we called it BAM BAM. Yep. And uh, BAM BAM is actually still one of my favorites uh, mm. as well. Um, and now we're doing an entire series of uh, small batch releases um, of New England style IPAs, mm-hmm. and we're Which on is our, something you said just for the record. You said I never, never do. do. <laughs> I know, but you know what? Uh, old dogs can learn new tricks, uh-huh. and we're having. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm learning a lot. I said I'd never do sours too, but I think we're making some truly wonderful sour beers now too. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, even I'm liking it. You know, yeah. I just, like that. I, there was a that was a style I really was reluctant to embrace, and I'm really enjoying the sours that we're making now. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of seems like that's been like the evolution. It was like niche, barrel aged, like very like art and art, very artisanal, artisanal and you know different. And now it's like okay, kind of the market has spoken, and now you know, fast forward, whatever, it's been four or five years, and now you're becoming more of like a total beverage type company. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, the thing that I always say to people who are thinking about getting into this business, that, you know, 
passion is important, um, but you got to keep the lights on too. Mm. And um, sometimes, you know, uh, if and another another way to think about it is if I were making uh, if I were a movie producer, right? Um, those guys didn't get started making the a blockbuster, right? They mm. got started probably making commercials, mm. right? And so, um, because that's what paid the bills. Yeah. And so, you know, you, we're in a, a broader, um, and it's not a it's not a cop out. I still think we make, I I know we make incredibly special beers, um, but there are beers that um, a lot of people like, um, and there are peop- there are beers that a you know a small part of the market likes. Right. Um, but if you're listening well to what's going on you could have your cake and eat it too and you could continue to make your barrel age stuff or your super niche art art projects um and you can continue to make really kick-ass beer that appeals to you know a broader part of the total beer market Mm. um and now you know we've even started to think about ourselves in more of a total beverage point you know kind of way because um, what we're finding is the same, you know, we're, we, we often will have people coming in and say, do you have anything that's non-alcoholic? Um, and it doesn't mean non-alcoholic beer. It's just like, is there something really interesting that I can drink that um, right. is not, uh, not just a beer or has alcohol, alcohol in it? Um, or we've, and so we started looking at um, doing specialty coffees we've started looking at teas we've started looking at hard coffees and teas Mm. um we've talked you and i've talked about kombucha we've talked about um doing non-alcoholic beer you know there's but the biggest one that um we've been starting to have a lot of fun with is we earlier this year we started doing seltzers Mm -hmm. and we aren't you know we're not trying to be white claw we're not trying to be truly um we're trying to be ourselves and so um if we're going to make a craft seltzer we're going to make sure there's real juice we're going to make sure that there's um some real color to it we're going to not process it as much there's going to be some you know yeast in it left over so we have all those kinds of flavors there and we're not necessarily going for like the neutral palette that um, you know, you see with the, you know, the market that, um, really is what I think truly and white collar are going for. Yeah. Uh, right. In, in a way, like what sort of y- you guys way back when that harpoon did to the Budweiser and, and the other big players coming in with this crap product that, you know, was probably unfiltered, maybe not, but, you know, um, right. kind of less, messed with and more um craft I just guess letting it happen yeah letting it happen you know you're you're kind of taking a similar approach with the seltzer market absolutely now. yeah and it's yeah. working we we've we've done um and everything we're doing is kind of cocktail inspired yep and so that's been fun yeah um and the they're fantastic in and of themselves but what we're finding and the feedback we're getting is that often people are taking it home either drinking it straight and it's five percent uh, beverage, very low carbs, no, you know, gluten-free, et cetera, et cetera. But um, often they're, they're juicing it with their 
favorite gin or vodka or, <laughs> yeah. or whatever their heart spirit is. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. It was like people are not, they just said, this is a great mixer too. Yeah. And so that's kind of fun. Yeah. And then, you know, because we are Barrel House Z, we said, why don't we do something that's even more true to our history here? And we are now experimenting with uh, barrel aging seltzers. Mm-hmm. So, which I have never heard of prior to you saying that. I don't think anybody does that that I know of, which is interesting. So we've got um, seltzer in a rum barrel now, in a spiced yeah, rum barrel. That we're right next to here. And we've got seltzer that is in probably two or three weeks, I think. It's been aging in a Bully Boy whiskey barrel. Mm-hmm. And what's the seltzer base on this? It's, it's a... It's straight seltzer. It's just a straight seltzer. Really? No, fl- it's like there's nothing, no flavoring. Yeah. Wow. It's just um, seltzer fermented, which, by the way, it tastes horrible. Yeah. Like when it has nothing in it, it's awful. Yeah. It's like it's undrinkable. <laughs> yeah. It's when you add the, you know, the flavoring, the juices, and the and mm-hmm. whatever flavorings you're putting in it that makes it good. But what I've found with barreling it is. Uh, there are not just um, whiskey f- flavor and you know um, and char in the barrel. Um, there's also um, remember I said there's sugar in wood. Yep. Yeah. There's sugar in wood, and so when you age the seltzer in the barrel, it's actually becoming sweet, mm. as well as getting a little bit of color from the char, as well as getting a little bit of the whiskey flavors because of that's what was in or whatever spirit was in there yeah. before, and it becomes very drinkable. Yeah. And so we're gonna take this seltzer and we're gonna continue on with the cocktail inspired theme and the whiskey barrel the first whiskey barrel uh seltzer release is going to be a an old fashioned um so i'm playing around with some bitters and uh orange peel and and we're gonna have some fun with it cool yeah so so to someone now who you know five years into barrel healthy here you've been essentially in the startup world all your career yeah to somebody listening, I have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the show. To somebody listening that is, you know, your 24-year-old self or whatever, um, you know, that wants to start a business or, um, you know, kind of follow a passion or whatever. Like, what, what advice, if you give somebody that wants to start a business tomorrow, what advice could you give? That could be a whole other hour, but... I know. Uh... <laughs> Uh, passion is important. No one's going to care about the business as much as you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to take twice as long. It costs twice as much money. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be an astounding number of setbacks. Mm-hmm. And your ability to um, deal with the setbacks and continue to move on and get it done is going to be what's going to differentiate yourself from everybody else. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's very good. How about on, what would you say on raising capital? Advice on raising capital? Because obviously most younger entrepreneurs, again, that, you know, it's, it's a fairly young crowd that listens. They're going to need to raise capital to start their business. Uh, no one's going to believe that you're going to be the next great thing. Yeah, you're not going to be Uber 
just yeah, just not the next just don't assume that you yeah. know your passion and your belief in what you're doing is going to translate to somebody who wants to put money in the business. Mm. So the best thing to do is figure out how to bootstrap it, get operational, show them the value proposition, not just hand wave it, mm-hmm. and then show them a clear path as to how they're going to make money and if the bonus will be if they become passionate about what you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you know, don't waste your time with people who are just trying to, you know, put some money into it um, and want to return and yeah. they're dispassionate about it. Yeah. Um, because those, you, it will devalue your value, prop, your, your value proposition. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that a lot. And that's that's a tough one for, you know, a young person trying to raise money because it's hard to say no to a bad investor because you really want the money, right? Right. <laughs> but right. But for sure. Yeah. Sometimes you got to just say no. Yeah. Because they're too expensive. And mm-hmm. it's just business, right? Yeah. And you, you, you tend to find out pretty quickly if you're dealing with somebody who is who really truly believes in you. Yeah. Um, and is willing to take a chance or somebody who is just transactional. Mm-hmm. Stay away would, from the transactional folks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what would you recommend on that front from like a... from like a dealing with the pressures of it all and having, you know, a lot of friends and family and yeah. people you respect and people that trust you and you yeah. trust them. Yeah. You know, having their money involved and just right. like something personally I've kind of struggled with. It's still, just kind of... I don't have a good answer for that, Mentally dealing with that, yeah. You, you know, because I deal with the same thing. You yeah. know, we started a barrel house with a lot of friends and family too. Yeah. And uh, bottom line is I've had four or five people come in and offer to buy the business basically at a discount mm-hmm. and I said no every single time mm-hmm. because when your original investors are investing they're investing in you mm. and they trust you right and as long as you can get up every day and make it happen and there's a path to profitability you should say no to those people who are just looking to get in cheap Mm-hmm. Fantastic, fantastic. So, to change gears here, obviously sustainability is top of mind yeah. with like every company in the world right now. It's um, you know, you your career has been super interesting in that you've like towed the line of beer and biofuels, and you've kind of been in both worlds of the sustainable world and the beer world. What is kind of what are people doing in the craft beer industry to be more sustainable? Obviously, like water's big, yeah. spent grains big, you know. Other than like, you know, how you're powering your plants and whatnot. Like, what is what are kind of the big things people are trying? Well, there's to address? all this classical stuff, which is you know, decrease decrease power use, you know, generate on site, um, do anaerobic digesters to you know produce power from your waste streams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then there's supplier stuff where instead of plastics for packaging, you go to things that are recyclable or compostable. Mm-hmm. Um, I am um, 
currently working on uh, my personal pet project goes back to my days at Davis mm-hmm. um, when I was thinking about converting a waste stream from winery into something more valuable. Um, spent grains in the brewing business globally is a huge, huge problem. Yeah. Uh, right now, um, most of so it to, goes... Sorry to cut you off, but to somebody that, again, doesn't know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. So basically, when you're brewing a beer, you start with grains, obviously. Right. You make essentially a tea from the grains. Right. And then you take that tea and you make beer out of it. But those grains are then just... The husks. The husks out of the grains. Right. Are waste. They're just waste. You you know, those are the, you know, for people listening, that's what you see, you know, brewers shoveling out, right, into a bin. And they're either throwing them out or bringing them to, like, a farm or... Right whatever but most are just throwing them out bringing them to a farm is an interesting idea because at least it's getting us another use yeah um but most of brewer spent grains go to the cattle industry yep as feed and Which um, is kind of like i have i would give a ton of credit to you my eyes have been very open to become open to the fact that you know industrial the industrialization of cattle um, is a huge, huge uh, climate problem. Yeah. And, um, you know, so even though it might feel good to send brewer spent grains to make beef or to feed, to make milk or whatever, you right. know, to, to feed the cattle industry, and it's, at the end of the day, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. Yeah. So if you could find a different use for that, um, it would be good, mm. I think. And so um, I've been able to uh, secure uh, a technology licensing agreement from my biofuels days to take that technology and then apply it towards making, taking the spent grains All right. instead of shipping it out to the cattle industry as feed. Um, we're going to make seltzer out of it. so it's kind of like closing the loop we're going to close the loop you're going to close the loop yeah Yeah. and so it's in you know it's a huge you know i we're going to do it first here at barrel house z and i have a little bit of a runway to develop the technology if it goes nowhere and only stays as a barrel house z thing great if it is something that people are um, can get excited about because it's also making a great product, great tasting product, fantastic. Hmm. But it's going to be something that I'm going to be actively, you know, trying to make, you know, see if we can change the entire industry with. Um, because uh, just AB InBev produces 16 billion metric tons per year of per wow. spent grains. Wow, yeah. Yeah, the only thing I've seen, I've seen a couple... There's a San Francisco company that I think it makes brewers crackers, they call them. Yeah, they're making food out of it. Yeah, they're making yeah. food. Or Similar they're making idea. Bread, yeah. Right? So they're, instead of it yeah. going to cows, they're making something that's another right. food. And there's a chip company, actually. Yeah. Um, People use them in most Whole Foods that make chips out of. Yeah. Out of, um, they take the, the pulp from um, like juice companies, big juice companies. They right. take the pulp and they make different products out yep. of them. Yeah. Harpoon um, makes their pretzels in their beer hall with spent the grains. Spent grain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Not all. I mean, it's it's a part of it's a yeah. partial ingredient. So that is really the big, 
in brewing other than, you know, controlling your water usage and that sort of, and the power that supplies the plant. Like, yeah, that's all really the classic the big, stuff. Yeah. That's the big one. Yeah. I think I, it's and a big, it's a big problem. Most people are using, you know, cans and glass. Any consumer thing, yeah. you know, any consumer based business is, uh, especially in food and beverage uses a lot of things that are not, you know, necessarily recyclable and mm-hmm. we could, we could get better. Yeah. If you had to drink one beer for the rest of your days, what would it be? Oh. <laughs> um, Sunny and 79. Sunny and 79. The original version or the, or the current? Um, the original version. <laughs> but the original version is not available, so... So is that, was, that, <laughs> was that the aged version, the tequila aged, or... No, nah, straight up. Straight up. Yep. Straight up one is my, my favorite. The yep. tequila barrel aged version was fantastic, yep. but that's not my favorite. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, we're getting, uh, we're getting up close to an hour. Um, but is there anything, anything maybe we haven't covered that you'd want to, that you want to share? No. Good, Pat. Yeah. No, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. And, um, where give, give, uh, kind of where people can follow Barrel House Z and you and, and all that good stuff. Um, www.barrelhousez.net. Yep. And, um, uh, we're also on Twitter and, uh, IG and all the social stuff, but our face, you know, our, our landing page is, uh, uh, barrelhousez.net. And it's obviously if you're in Massachusetts, you can get it most places. Yeah, we're only in Massachusetts right now. Yep. Can you, you guys were doing some shipping to different states at some point, were you? Or no, we were talking about it. Talking about it, yeah. Yeah, yep. we never, it's yep. tough right now. But, yep. uh, so if you're in Massachusetts, um, or if you have a come, buddy in Massachusetts. Come to the brewery. It's yep. the best place to get it. Absolutely, it is, yeah. 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 And, um, and if you want to follow me personally, um, uh, Rusty's Red Ride 23. On Instagram, right? On on inst- on all, all my social. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's from the RR23. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So. All right, man. Well, Russ, this was fun, man. Always always good to reconnect. Uh, and um, Thanks. I love where things are headed. And, and, and before we sign off, I, I just want to thank you for always supporting me and, um, you know, supporting me with everything I do and being in the air for me and, and all that good stuff. So, well, you know, um, I don't have any money, so it's the best thing I can do. <laughs> <laughs> I can offer advice, Pat. <laughs> but, uh, no, thank you. I, I know people will, will take a lot from this and learn a lot from it, especially cool. the, the younger entrepreneurs. So, uh, all right, man. Thank you, man. That was fun. And cheers. Cheers. Yeah, pick up. Uh, I highly recommend, uh, if you do come to the brewery, people that are listening, the Friends and Neighbors West Coast IPA is... It might be gone like, by the time they get here. You yeah. got to get here tomorrow then. You got to get here tomorrow. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to release this soon. <laughs> but uh, awesome, man. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Tones of a 